Welcome to the CCF Iowa podcast. Welcome back to the CCF podcast. This session of our For Everyone series is going to cover Matthew chapter 9. So not too long ago, we finished up the Sermon on the Mount, which was Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And then we had a, a chapter of, of miracles and, and healings that Jesus was doing in Matthew 8. Matthew 9 uh, continues in the same kind of format that Matthew 8 did, where it has several different kind of mini stories of Jesus healing people and his interactions with people. And I wanted to emphasize that when Jesus heals people, there's uh, there's usually a, a purpose, a reason behind it, a lesson that he's trying to teach his disciples. Because while Jesus does have the ability to heal everyone, that's not what he wants his ministry to be about. And the thing about doing miracles is it's kind of a slippery slope. If if you start just healing everyone, then, then all your ministry is about is healing people. And while that's, of course, not a bad thing, that's not the purpose and point behind Jesus ministry. He's he's there to, to tell them about how the kingdom of heaven has been revealed, about how it's being opened uh, to, to everyone. And so to just focus on healings and miracles, it, it's not what Jesus wants to be about. Um, so his miracles have a point. They have a purpose. He's trying to teach his disciples something about the kingdom whenever he heals someone. And, and that's the thing about Jesus' teaching is that he's laid out um, in the Sermon on the Mount, kind of the foundational philosophy of his teaching. And then he enters into the next process, the next several chapters of then living out, walking out what he has said that that uh, God's word is all about. So Sermon on the Mount, he illustrates the interpretation of God's word, and then he begins to walk it out. And we see that in Matthew chapter 8 and continuing here in Matthew chapter 9. And, and so that's what I really wanted to emphasize in, in today's session is the idea of Jesus is teaching Jesus what he's doing through these miracles that he performs. Uh, so let's just get into some of these stories and, and let's see what Jesus is teaching through them. So this is Matthew chapter 9, starting with verse 1. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Get up, take your mat, and go home. And then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to men. So we have a really cool story here. And, and actually, if you go to um, the book of Mark, they, he also tells about this story and gives a few more details uh, about what's going on. And so you... You have a sense of there's there's a there's a paralyzed guy and his friends have carried him over on a mat and they actually um, the Mark story says about how they climb up to the roof of the house where Jesus is teaching at and they dig a hole in the roof in order to lower this man down to be in front of Jesus because they they couldn't get through the crowds with with carrying a mat and so they went up to the roof and they lowered him down in front of Jesus. 
And the thing about it is to get through a roof, uh, their roofs are a little bit different than ours are because it would be, I think, really hard to get through one of our modern-day roofs. But it's it's got layers of, of tiles and mud and um like straw and and things that like that's what their roofs are composed of but it's it's multiple layers of these things and so they would have been kind of digging through the roof for a while and there probably would have been like particles and things falling down in front of jesus and maybe even on on top of jesus and so he's being he's being hit with roof dirt while he's teaching and so jesus clearly knows this is going on Uh, everybody would notice because it would take a while for them to get through the roof and yet, they don't really seem to say anything about that. They don't respond about that. It seems like Jesus kind of has a sense of what's going on. He may have seen these guys as they're heading up towards the roof. And and he figures out what's going on. And he decides to use this as a teaching point. Um, and so when, when the guy's lowered in front of him, he says, Take heart, your sins are forgiven. Oh, I also want to point out really important really cool here it says when jesus saw their faith all the other places that this story is referenced it refers to the fact that jesus sees the faith and and generally it refers to the faith not of the paralytic because he's not really doing anything the faith of his friends and so faith here is something that you see faith is an action it's something that's lived out um, not just a belief but an action. So Jesus sees their faith and, and he tells the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, which I would imagine if, if you're that paralytic, you're like, well, that's cool. Not really what I'm here for. My friends are lowering me down because you're the guy that heals people. You're the guy that does miracles. And, but, but Jesus wants to make a point about forgiveness. It's very, very likely, very possible that when Jesus is in this house and he's teaching as again, the roof particles are falling on his head, He's already been teaching about forgiveness, and one of the things that we mentioned in teaching the Sermon on the Mount is one of the most controversial things that Jesus talks about within the Sermon on the Mount, and one of the major themes of the Sermon on the Mount is the idea of forgiveness, the fact that we can enter into the process of forgiveness and that we can forgive sins because it's it's the perspective of of the Pharisees, of the religious leaders, of uh, of those who are the, the scholars in Judaism that only God can forgive sins. And, and so the very fact that Jesus is, is saying that, no, like mankind gets to enter into that process as well, um, the, the Pharisees think something's up. And that's actually what Jesus uh, acknowledges here because he, he can tell that that by, you know, probably by the change of their face or by the way, uh, he can see the Pharisees getting upset that he's, proclaimed forgiveness of sins and so he confronts them and says well you believe i can't say your sins are forgiven which one would be easier to say that or or to heal this guy and then that's why he heals him um to kind of show that that he actually does have this authority that god is opening uh, things up in this way that we can enter in to that process and be part of the forgiveness thing and so in this way the paralyzed man well well, Jesus does heal him, and I think, you know, saw the faith of his friends and, and, and acknowledges all those things. And the paralyzed guy is kind of a prop it, it, as part of Jesus' teaching. It doesn't take away from his healing or, or mean any less of Jesus. It's just that Jesus utilizes this moment, this opportunity to teach the crowd more about forgiveness and the fact that they can be a part of that. And, and I think the crowd actually catches it. 
Because it says at the end of this passage, when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to men. And now that could refer to the authority to do those kind of miraculous healings, but I think it's referring here to the authority to be a part of the forgiveness that God is welcoming us into the process, that we can be part of the forgiveness of sins. And that's a pretty cool thing to think about. And then the next story, Jesus does some more things that are a little bit controversial and 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 kind of rub some of the religious people the wrong way. Verse 9, it says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus here goes and finds a tax collector, Matthew, the very guy who wrote this gospel. And he calls him and says, hey, you follow me. Which means literally, I want you to be my disciple. I want you to join my team. I want you to follow around, live with me, learn to walk and do what I walk and do. As I try to live out God's word, This I want you to do the exact same thing that I do. And being called to be a disciple of a rabbi is a huge deal at, at this point in time in, in Jewish history. And it, it's, it's something that not very many people get to do. And so the fact that Jesus would call a tax collector... If you're a tax collector, you've essentially betrayed your people. You've said to to the Jews around you that I don't really value that much because I'm going to take your money and I'm going to give it to Rome who's oppressing you and and I'm probably going to keep too much of it for myself as well. Tax collectors were essentially um they they were viewed as as less and less. I mean, you even see in this passages they they talk about he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. Like tax collectors are a group that's apparently so much worse even than sinners that that they're held out apart as separate. Not that tax collectors aren't sinners, but the tax collectors are maybe the worst kind of sinners. And so Jesus calls this outsider, this tax collector, this person who for his own profit and gain has separated himself from the rest of his people. He says, no, 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 you come back in. You join my team. You follow me. And so he's calling the outsiders in. And the insiders, the religious leaders, are looking at that and saying, you can't do that. What are you even thinking? This, that's not what you're supposed to be. That's not what a rabbi does. You're not supposed to be eating with those people. You're not supposed to be accepting those people. And he responds to them by quoting from Hosea 6.6, 6, where he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And the thing about, uh, especially when a, when a rabbi quotes scripture, it's, it's a reference point to those that are listening that they need to be thinking about all the context and all the other things that are happening around that quotation. Um, because that's how they teach. They drop in these little hints, these little references to to God's word, to the Old Testament, to the text. And they want their listeners to then think about what's going on in that text. 
And, and, and so the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, those that are trying to call it Jesus would hear that quote and would think about, okay, what's, what's Hosea talk about? Hosea is about, um, he was a prophet and, and he had to marry this woman who then commits adultery on him. And that's this big metaphor for how God has treated, uh, how Israel has treated God, that God uh, entered into the covenant with Israel and then they they turned against him and and they were adulterous uh, and and so you know and and they're thinking all through the themes of Hosea and the things that are being said in in chapter 6 there and and the thing about it is a big part of that that passage in Hosea is talking about overlooking outsiders and and how God desires them to have mercy to extend compassion to people um, and that it's not so much about their piety, it's not so much about all the religious activities that they are doing and that they are involved with, it's about them being merciful, them being compassionate, welcoming in the outsider. That's what God has always wanted his people to do and to be a part of, and he's He's condemning them for, for not doing that. And And that's, again, that's the theme that Jesus is touching upon here. That that's what they need to be doing. Want to welcome the outsider. The next story, verse 14, Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch on un- of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. So we have here that uh, John, John the Baptist, his his followers come and ask Jesus this question, why are you not fasting? Why are you not doing these things that all the others do, that, uh, that are that we do, that the Pharisees do, like you're supposed to be fasting. And so Jesus gives them this, this metaphor, this story about the bridegroom and, and, and then talks in a parable about cloth and about wineskins and those kind of things. And this is something that we're going to dig into even more as we get into some of the bigger and longer parables that are, that are used in the book of Matthew. But what Jesus likes to do is he makes little references to to text, to scripture, to the Old Testament, in order for his disciples to pick up on that and think through it and try to figure out what is being said here and what is important. And so if you would go to like Bible Gateway and use their search feature, you can actually like search these things. And sometimes when you're seeing these references that Jesus is making or something, part of his teaching that you can't understand, that's usually... uh, something that tells you you should be trying to dig deeper in those locations and to maybe try to like find some of those keywords that Jesus is using and see where they occur in other places in the text because that's where Jesus wants you to come and that's where where his his deeper teaching is found now there's a lot that you can get when you just read this at the surface level and there's this cool metaphor about about how you need to have a new way of thinking and that that you can't you know put an old Putting putting it like an old perspective onto a new thing just causes that to, to tear and be made worse. And you need to have new perspectives and new thinkings because there's new things that God is doing in this world. And and I think that's what Jesus is kind of trying to say with this whole patch of cloth and and wineskins and that kind of stuff. But then if you go and you would search again in Bible Gateway, like go and search wineskins 
and and look for the places in the Old Testament where that word occurs, you'd find out that it shows up in Jeremiah 13. And the thing about Jeremiah 13 is it talks about wineskins and and in like the passage right before it talks about wineskins, it actually talks about uh, Jeremiah is supposed to take a belt that he's been wearing, a, a, a leather belt, and he's supposed to bury it and let it age. And so it's this talking about these garments that are that were new and that are being aged and, and broken. And so you have some of these kind of references that, that fit in with the things that Jesus was talking about there. And the thing about Jeremiah 13 is, again, it's talking about overlooking the outsider and, and, and not noticing those people that are not quote unquote part of the in crowd and part of the kingdom. And that, that God is actually wanting his people to go and live a life that's an example for those who are on the outside and looking in and and to be welcoming them in instead of throwing them out. And so Jesus is peppering in these kind of references and other places where he's teaching through text. And so I really wanted to use that passage to just kind of highlight that this is the way that Jesus teaches. This is what it looks like to be his followers that that, that there's so much more going on than just the surface level stuff that, that Jesus has, has hidden and buried and, and makes references to the text. And that uh, when, we, when we study more and look at more and think more through uh, what Jesus is saying and, and find out where he's talking about other scripture, that we can unlock even more of what he's teaching and, and, and get even more depth um, and, and beauty and, and, and just see all the things that he's doing. And so that's just a really cool way. Uh, it's it's a really Eastern way. It's a really uh, Jewish way that Jesus teaches, and I think sometimes we we miss out on that because we just rightly want to know Jesus' words, but then we just stop there with what He said instead of trying to figure out where where it came from, what He has said, and and the references that He's making to to the Old Testament and and to God's word. So. Yeah, Jesus is continuing on this theme of welcoming in the outsider and and noticing those those people. And so the next the next story is it starts with verse eighteen. While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, "My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live." Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. And just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And she said to herself, "If I, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed." And Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. And when Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, Go away. The girl's not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after the crowd had been put aside, outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand. And she got up. News of this spread through all that region. So Jesus it heals a, a, a dead girl, and while he's on the way to do that, he also heals this this woman with with bleeding, and that's actually the, the the part of the story I want to focus on is the woman in the crowd. So she makes her way through a crowd. She's been subject to bleeding for for twelve years. Uh, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know the exact medical condition, and and we may not know because of not enough context anyway. But the thing about it is, regardless of what is causing that. From a a religious perspective, from a synagogue perspective, from a Torah perspective, this woman is unclean. And since she's been bleeding for 12 years, that means she's been unclean uh, for 12 years. And if she's unclean, she's not allowed into the assembly of God. She's not allowed to go to the synagogue and worship God and be a part of her religious community. 
And, and so in many ways, she's been cast out because of her medical condition. And, and she's an outsider too. And and she's a, a person of great faith. He Jesus says to her, your faith has healed you. And again, it's faith that can be seen. It's faith in action because she's making her way through this crowd. And it can be hard to make way through a crowd when you're unclean. Um, you're often required to say that you're unclean and, and make it known because other people probably don't want to touch you because then they will be unclean as well. And, and to have the guts to go touch Jesus, cause that would make him uh, unclean. And yet she, she wants to touch the edge of his cloak. Now, the thing about it is like that translation just makes it sound like she just like touched his outer coat, his garment, um, what it's actually referring to here, the piece of the piece of fabric, the piece of material that Jesus is wearing, is actually uh, his the tassels of his of his prayer shawl. Because uh, what Jews even today still uh, what they would wear is, is is a prayer shawl, and they have tassels at the end of it at, to be a reminder of of God's provision, of God's protection, of who God is. And those tassels are actually sometimes referred to as God's wings. Um, and, and so there's a, a, a reference in Malachi about how there will be healing in his wings, uh, of God's wings. And then there's even a group uh, in, in Jesus' day that had the perspective that, that Malachi reference there was actually a messianic prophecy that talked about the, the coming Messiah um, would, would be one who who had healing in his wings, which meant that if you even went up to the Messiah— and you touched his tassels, that there would be healing in those, the tassels of his prayer shawl. And so this woman has has been a person who has come to know text, that she has studied her scripture and 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 acts on that knowledge and that belief and that faith. And so she comes up to Jesus and she touches his tassels, believing that she will be healed. And, and she is, she's rewarded for that. And the thing about it is, it would be really hard for her to know her text because they didn't have a lot of scrolls laying around that had Malachi on it or other scripture. Um, it was mostly people memorizing scripture was how they got to know it. But the people who were memorizing scripture in Jesus' day and age were were men. Uh, women were not a part of that school system. They were not the ones who were memorizing text. And this woman in particular has not been able to be a part of religious services, ceremonies, synagogue for 12 years. And yet she's a person who's come to know this text and, and rightfully believes it to, to apply to Jesus and shows that great faith. I think that's a really cool thing that she was someone who who worked for the knowledge of the text, who worked for that and and was healed because of it. Uh, Jesus' healings are are sharing messages about about being people of great faith, and great faith meaning willing to 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 go through lots of pain and hardship to know God more and better, and to know His Word, and and to be a student of of the Scripture. And so, those are some of the things that that Jesus is acknowledging and and presenting, and 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 healing and. And so Jesus is uh, he's, he's a person that values text and the importance of that. And, and so we need to be people who are like that too. He sets out, this is what it means to welcome in, uh, in outsiders in, 
to be people of the of the text to be people who can you can see their faith that's what jesus is acknowledging and and recognizing here and and so that's that's what he's doing throughout chapter 9 and all these stories and and i skipped um some of the passages at the end there's there's more stories there that are talking about jesus healing and the things that he's doing i just wanted to illustrate a few of these and and kind of use them as examples that that yes, Jesus does miracles, and yes, he heals people, and and sometimes it's, it, it literally just says he had compassion on the crowd, and so he did this miracle when he when he feeds the five thousand. It talks about having compassion on the crowd, and that's why he chooses to do the miracle that feeds them. Sometimes, literally, that's the only reason that Jesus just has compassion. Um, but what generally what Jesus is doing is he's using it as a teaching moment, as a way to say something more about God. Yes, uh, healing is part of Jesus' ministry, and it's, it's, and so it's a useful, important part, but it's not the only thing that he's about, and he's always trying to teach through it, trying to tell us more about who God is, about about forgiveness, about welcoming in the outsider, about about having faith and and putting it on display and pursuing God, even if it's hard. And so those are the kind of people we need to be. Those are the kind of things that we need to teach and and set forth. And and so let's be the kind of people that, that God calls us to be, the kind of people that Jesus modeled for us to be like. Let's pursue that. Hey, thanks for spending time with us today. If you have any questions about what you heard or any interest in learning more about CCF in Iowa, then please email us at ccf.uiowa at gmail.com and we would love to get you connected.